This week's episode of A Cast of Kings is brought to you by Hover.com. Hover is the best way to buy and manage domain names. When you have a great idea, you want to secure a great domain name for it, you want something catchy and memorable to represent your project, Hover gives you exactly what you need to find the perfect domain for your idea. Joanna, this week's Hover.com promo code is Hover.com slash hardhome. How timely and accurate. (laughs) Super timely because Hardhome was such a huge part in Season 5, Episode 9 of the show. Not at all, actually. Uh, You totally missed it by a week, Joanna. Imagine that. So why did you choose Hover.com slash Hardhome (laughs) for this week? Like, Why did you think that this would be appropriate? Uh, Because I knew... I knew that they spent a really long time filming Hard Home, so I actually thought it might be an entire episode-long battle. Mm. And, and you were basically right. Well, it was, it was like, like half an episode. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, Blackwater and the Battle at Castle Black, those were episode nine. So, like, the big battle episodes sometimes are episode nine. So that was my guess without, you know, because we picked these codes way early before we knew what was going on. All right. Well, uh, good good effort. Um, fortunately, <laughs> our listeners can still benefit from uh, from your misdeeds here by going to hover.com slash hardhome to get 10% off their first order. Thanks to Hover for sponsoring us this season. Uh, really appreciate it. Let's get to the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to A Cast of Kings, an unofficial podcast about the HBO original series, Game of Thrones. I'm David Chen, and I've never read any of the books in George R.R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire. I'm Joetta Robinson, and I've read every book in George R.R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. If you're just tuning into the podcast for the first time, what we do here on A Cast of Kings is we will discuss everything through this week's episode of Game of Thrones... Season 5, Episode 9, The Dance of Dragons. We will not spoil anything from future week's episodes, and that includes the next time on Preview or uh, the books. And you can find more of our episodes at GameOfThronesPodcast.com. You can also email us at acastofkings at gmail.com. That's acastofkings at gmail.com. Also find us on Facebook and Twitter at acastofkings. Bunch of updates we have to mention at the top of the show, Joanna. Yes. Firstly... Uh, what we realized this week was that it's not even enough that we don't make any errors <laughs> on the podcast. Uh-huh. It's that if we leave out a salient or ironic fact, uh, we will get hammered via Twitter and email and so on. Uh, people reminding us that, hey, did you know that uh, this was true and that you didn't mention it on the podcast? And in fact, it sounds like you got the brunt of this, right, Joanna? Uh, you got dozens of tweets correcting quote-unquote correcting something that wasn't even wrong right uh do you want to say what that is <laughs> uh no i'm gonna extend the suspense for as long as possible <laughs> but basically yes so last week uh i mentioned that i saw a film called san andreas which also had an annoying child named ollie in it and of course hundreds i want to say hundreds of our listeners felt the need to point out to us that in fact uh, the character of Ollie in San Andreas is played by the same actor who plays Rickon in Game of Thrones. So it's like a convergence of two of your favorite characters <laughs> in one actor. 
that happened, you know, with San Andreas and, and Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yes, thank thank you all for pointing that out. Uh, I, I actually think I did know that fact. Uh, sorry for not uh, making sure I made that clear on the last episode of the podcast. You know, um, something, you know, anyone who writes on the internet and, and makes a list, like say you make a top 10 list or something, and then someone will be like, can't believe you forgot. And you're like, um, I didn't forget it. I just actively chose not. This is my 10 that I picked. Um and those used to bother those comments used to bother me so much. And then uh, my boyfriend said something about like he thinks it's more about people trying to add to the conversation, like be part of the conversation, than it is like trying to school you. And in my experience, it's probably about fifty fifty. Like fifty percent of people just want to be like, "Hey, did you notice this? This is cool. I wanted to share this with you." And then right. the other fifty percent want to point out that you're wrong. So, right. you know, the internet it's, it's a mixed bag. <laughs> you don't say. You don't say. <laughs> well, speaking of things being a mixed bag, uh, last week I put a call out to all of our listeners uh, and said, hey, guys, there are two new subreddits or or one new subreddit and one subreddit that I guess was already there. Uh, uh, Reddit.com slash uh, Ollie Rules and Reddit.com slash Fuck Ollie. Right? These were the two subreddits. And I said – Join these subreddits uh, and and make your allegiance known as to what your opinion is on the Ollie situation. Are you a fan of the character of Ollie in Game of Thrones or are you not? And uh, I will say that the Ollie Rules subreddit has grown to a very healthy number. Uh, I believe it's around, uh, what is it, 180 I want to say. Oh, wow. 186 subscribers. And, uh, and, and how's the other one doing? Well, the uh, Fuck Ollie subreddit uh-huh. it hasn't grown so much as I would say it has metastasized uh, <laughs> to over 1,500 <laughs> subscribers. Uh-huh. So uh, that if was If you sad. haven't been to the Fuck Ollie subreddit in a while, first of all, I think I said this last week, but I, I have no ill will towards this actual child. Um, (laughs) The the actual actor who plays Ollie, you mean? Yeah, that kid seems cool, and I (laughs) don't wish any harm on him. Um, But the the Fuck Ollie subreddit has gotten, like, an update since it's got, like, a shiny new banner, (laughs) and it's just the happening place to be, guys. So you might want to check it out. I will say it is probably loaded with spoilers, Um, so be careful. I think both are. Yeah, both are. So just be careful. If you are not a book reader, probably best to just avoid these subreddits entirely. Uh, But, yeah, and I should also say to get to it, you got to go to reddit.com slash r slash fuck Ollie or reddit.com slash r slash Ollie rules. Uh, best comment from this week's uh, Fuck Ollie subreddit. I wish Stannis was Ollie's dad. <laughs> <laughs> I will say many of these posts are very funny. They're when, so funny. When they're not being spoilery, they are incredibly <laughs> amusing. Yeah. Uh, but yes, that that uh, <laughs> the growth of those subreddits was quite something to behold, and made me ponder, Joanna, you know, what we could accomplish in, from a subreddit perspective if we used our powers for good, uh, as opposed to just you know. Oh, that's interesting. I believe I am using my powers for good, <laughs> <laughs> as opposed to just pitting people in this pointless battle <laughs> against each other. Okay. Uh, speaking of spoilers, Joanna, mm-hmm. something else we got to go over. 
And that is that uh, some people f- accused you of dropping some spoilers on last week's episode of the podcast. Did they that not? is true. That is true. So I gave the background on the character of the Night's King, which is actually introduced pretty early in the books. Um, but he's a character of legend and hasn't shown up in the books at all and is in the show but not in the books yet. And a couple listeners pointed out that they felt like maybe the HBO series is building up to this reveal – um, and maybe I shouldn't have mentioned it. And I'm willing to consider that uh, as a possibility. <laughs> but um, I will also say that as we get closer, you know, as the line sort of blurs between what's going on in the show, it's no longer a simple fact of this hasn't happened yet. Right. You know, it's a lot trickier. I'm not trying to like, you know defend myself but kind of i guess uh, it and sounds just, like you're defending yourself but that's I will, okay but that's I will okay just say that it's it's a little bit more complicated now and i really am trying to do my best to fill in background information which is my role and also keep you guys sort of pure so for anyone who is upset about the night's king thing i'm sorry for all the people who are excited and thought it was really cool information i'm glad and uh, hopefully I didn't ruin some cool, awesome reveal on the show, um, but rather enhanced your experience. Well, let but. me just say right right off the bat here that uh, I saw some of these accus- accusations being lobbed against you, and I, you know, my reaction was I was incensed, not at you, Joanna, but at the reactions <laughs> because you people. You listeners, you don't know how good you have it, with Joanna. <laughs> no, she is so good. Uh, and uh, in fact, you know, some I think someone pointed out this week. If you go back in time and you listen to earlier episodes of this podcast, there are I don't know, literally dozens of opportunities that Joanna could have tipped her hand and and ruined something and didn't. And she's been incredibly skillful at avoiding spoilers. And she's not perfect, but I would say ninety. Five percent of the time, uh, I would say she does a really good job of not spoiling. Which, by the way, we should also point out in the wild, wild west of Game of Thrones podcasts is apparently not an easy thing to do. Because the number one complaint I see for, for other Game of Thrones podcasts and sometimes ours is, "Man, these guys spoil everything." So all I'm saying is, guys, give thanks for Joanna because you know, like she she may make a stumble once or twice. Uh, not even sure if this if this can even qualify as that, but uh, overall, you, you should be grateful for what she's been able to do in terms of taking us through this show spoiler free. So, just thank you, and and uh, you know, thank you for saying that. Um, I do hear what people are saying. I, you know, I I really like the setup of our show. I like that we try to keep things spoiler free. It's going to be a little blurrier going forward just because you know we're going to talk about it in this episode you know the show is now spoiling the books so it's just more complicated than it used to be yeah yeah and and uh there are times when there's backstory in the books that is never on the show like you just never hear about it ever on the show and so then he's describing that backstory spoiling something there is no right answer to that we just don't know what the answer is so uh please be patient (laughs) <laughs> Speaking of patience, uh, we are recording this podcast episode quite late on a Tuesday, and of course, every time we're late, we get tons of people demanding the podcast, uh, and so as a result, there will be no clips uh, inserted into the podcast tonight because uh, people have made clear that they want the episode faster than they want the clips. So 
And thank uh, you for your patience, guys. Yeah. Yes, thanks for your patience. But I did include something to tie people over. Did I not, Joanna? Oh, you did. Yes. What, an what added is- an added treat. I I, I uh, at Joanna's direction, I filmed myself reacting to the last episode of Game of Thrones. And so you can find that video at uh, facebook.com slash acastofkings. That's facebook.com slash acastofkings. Uh, and actually, this is the second time I've done this. Both videos have done incredibly well. Uh, they, this one has been viewed over 4,400 times as of right now. So Wow. Um, so yeah, I and your, your direction is to, uh, to film myself for the finale as well, right? Uh, yes. I shall consider it. <laughs> I shall consider it. Uh, <laughs> but maybe there's something the listeners can have, do for me. But okay, you ha- well, first, before you say that, <laughs> if you do, you have to have your lady front of the background because she, like, made the video <laughs> just that extra bit of better. She, she was, was the so audience great. surrogate when I was talking about my love for Ollie and John. That, but also when she was like, son of a harpy. I mean, <laughs> that was, was very good. It was really great. That was very good. So watch that video at facebook.com slash a cast of kings. Um, let's get into the show, Joanna. We, we, yeah. We've done a lot of preamble here. Let's get into this episode of Game of Thrones. So season five, episode nine, written by Benioff and Weiss and directed by David Nutter, who's a super talented director. He's directed... Several episodes of Game of Thrones in the past. Uh, I actually know him all the way back from his days directing The X-Files. Uh, and by know him, I mean know of his work. I, I don't actually know him personally. Uh, but uh, yeah, so uh, The Dance of Dragons. We start with uh, Bravos, I believe, right? Uh, with Arya and this entire plotline of the, the Thin Man, correct? Right. Uh, and so... In this episode, the Thin Man is not dead. I thought that was a little confusing. Uh, any any non-spoiler explanation you could give me for that? I, I guess it was is this supposed to be like a lengthy poison that use that she's using, or she hasn't poisoned him yet. I think she's uh, like she just gave him vinegar on his uh, oyster last week. I you see. thought that was poison, um, and she was supposed to poison him in this episode, but she got distracted. I see. So. Okay, was I stupid for thinking that that was poison last week, or was that kind of ambiguous? no? When she first put the vinegar on, I thought it might be poison vinegar, um, <laughs> but I think she had a conversation with Jack and like back at the um, House of Black and White, where he basically gave her the direct order, the kill order. Uh, I you see. know, so it was like way, this is w- like a scouting mission, and then she went back, and he was basically like, "You're you should probably kill him." I think the way it was edited last week was really confusing then. It was a little confusing. Because they were jumping back and forth in time. So I thought that the putting the vinegar on, like that act, happened after the conversation with Jacket. Right, right. Um, So that is my defense for why I misunderstood (laughs) that. But anyway, she's about to kill this dude. And then Marin Trant arrives at uh, at the docks with Maestrell, who I was actually quite pleased to see is still alive. Yes. Uh, I thought he would for sure be dead by the time he arrived. Right. So Mace is apparently a really good singer. Uh, things happen. Mace visits the bank, and then Marin Trant uh, goes into a brothel. And they do everything they can to make Mace Terrell as despicable of a human being as possible. Marin Trant, yes. I'm sorry. Uh, sorry, Marin Trant, yes. Mace Terrell is a goddamn delight. He is the highlight yep. of this episode <laughs> was him singing for me, and also Mark Gaddis as... 
Tycho Nostaris, uh, his reaction to being like, I can't believe I have to suck up to this guy. Yeah. Uh, that was maybe my favorite part of the whole episode, to be honest with you. Yeah. Okay. The awful Marin Trent. Correct. Uh, so he goes in and <laughs> in what I found was a somewhat oddly staged scene, Arya barges into this brothel with oysters uh, and then observes Marin Trent choosing a young girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, from a lineup of girls, and mm-hmm. then she is shooed away before anything can happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, w- what do we want to point out about this whole this whole sequence? What, what do we feel is worth highlighting? I think the one thing that I will point out is that uh, Benioff and Weiss in the after the the post game you, know, you know breakdown said that Arya's recognition of Marin Trant and then pursuing him is an indication she is not ready to become. Uh, a woman with no faces or what have you, because she's still holding on to this element of her past and this desire for revenge. Right. And he's, he's on her list um, for killing, in theory, killing Sirio Farrell, uh, her fencing uh, instructor. Um, yeah, I, that's a good point. I, you know, I once again question whether this brothel scene is necessary to uh, like, didn't we already know that Marin Trant was the worst? Right. Well, not that he doesn't share too, right? That was, <laughs> that was a big deal. Not sharing? Come on, guys. <laughs> What's that about? I'm Mary? being sarcastic, by the way. Uh, yeah, I just uh, like I feel like we already knew that Marin Trant was the worst. Arya already hated Marin Trant, so I'm not sure why this um, added non-book uh, pedophilia angle was necessary. But hey, you know, in, in, like. Uh, this isn't in the books, so I don't uh, I don't know what's going to happen. So I'm just going to lay my bets that Arya is going to like hard candy this guy, basically. <laughs> nice. Um, I like how that's a verb now, but yeah. Yeah. So that's my so, prediction. For those who don't know, Joanna's referring to an indie film starring uh, what is it? Uh, Ellen, Ellen Page and Patrick uh, Wilson. Wilson, yeah. It, basically, Ellen Page uh, is, is a pedophile victim and then turns the tables on the perpetrator. Uh, so yes, that's what it seems like it's, it's building up to. I'm just worried that like, you know, um, if, if Maisie Williams or even if I I don't know if she's going to like try on a face or something like this, I have no idea. I really don't know what's going to happen. So this is just questioning. If Maisie Williams has to pose as an underage prostitute, uh, I don't know that I'm ready for that. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Mm, yeah. Uh, well, I guess I don't know. There's that. There's that scene where Marion Trant says something along the lines of, "Make sure you have a fresh one." Oh for yeah. Me, yeah. When he's it, like, "Make sure you have a fresh one tomorrow," and uh, like a little light bulb went off over Arya's head, and I'm just worried that that's her plan to like. I guess I I, I repeated that just to point out what a oh. horrifying line that is. Just yeah. As a as a, what like all that that implies is is terrible. Yep. From my perspective. Yeah. Uh, but then she has a scene with Jack and where she lies to him, right? Uh, and he gives her this concerned look. Right. Am, I right. am I right about this? Yeah. Yeah. Which, by the way, you know, he's shown himself apparently very good at detecting lies. So probably seeing right through her entire plan. Any other thoughts on this whole sequence? Um, they did have a whole brothel scene without any nudity in it. So that was interesting. Um, but yeah. Also, apparently, uh, in the world of Westeros, it is well known that oysters are an aphrodisiac. Uh, 
I think that's true in our reality too, right? Yeah. Is that is that yeah. generally? Yeah. Which I, personally, let me just say, I don't get that. I don't understand that as a concept because oysters, I feel like, are really heavy. Do you know? Oh, you're we're about to get like a million emails talking about the like <laughs> physiology of what oysters do to your body. Mm, I hope you're ready for look it. Look forward to it. But yeah, <laughs> I uh, I guess I'm just saying like when I eat oysters, I don't get you know into an amorous mood. Is my point? Okay. I don't know about you, but that's just that's just my personal reaction. All right, <laughs> moving on. Uh, so uh, then there is a scene at the wall mm-hmm. where. Uh, they the, all the wildlings and John they've finally made it to the wall and uh, there's this moment of tension where is Alistair going to open the the wall for all these wildlings right 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 and uh, there's this moment of tension where you don't know what's going to happen and then they open Alistair opens the gates and I love this moment on John's face of just complete and utter relief uh, because he would have been screwed otherwise. They're leading people through uh, the Castle Black. Uh, I guess the wildlings are going south. Ollie and Alistair are really disapproving of this. Alistair has this line, you have a good heart, Jon Snow, it'll get us all killed. Uh, And yeah, dude, Ollie's got an Ollie, if you know what I'm saying. He obviously still disapproves, expressing it in a way that uh, is obviously very much in keeping with his character. And uh, very (laughs) incredibly satisfying, I have to say. So um, I want to say a couple things. First of go. all, we did see that Tormund like basically has taken stewardship of Carsey, who's the wildling mother who died last episode. He had her daughters sort of next to him, so like at least we know, you know, in that one shot, okay, like someone's looking out for these girls who lost their mother. Um, one one, the giant made it as well. My co-host on the Storm of Spoilers was really concerned because. Last we saw one one, he was just like wading out into the sea with no real plan because uh, he can't like get on any of those ships. So um, I'm glad to see he made it. The giant's there. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. what is implied there that the water just never got deeper than he was? I yeah. guess. He, or he like he swim? did he did he like skirt the shore? Can he swim? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, it's a good question. Big mystery. Uh, but yeah, his point was that Tormund, <laughs> Tormund said, one, one to the sea. And it's like, that's not a plan. That's just, <laughs> <laughs> that's just a name and a preposition. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like a plan at all. Anyway. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, John's face when he sees Ollie, <laughs> He, and he looks like a happy little puppy to see Ollie. And then Ollie just glares at him like Ollie does. And then he looked like a kicked puppy. Poor Jon Snow. Indeed. Indeed. All right. <laughs> All so right. That's, that's uh, reddit.com uh, slash r slash fuck Ollie. So. Mm. Or reddit.com slash r slash Ollie rules. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like I'm fighting a, a losing battle very much like Ollie is in the show. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> so uh, then uh, we go to Dorne. And there are a few scenes. There's this very tense scene. One of those scenes where everything said is passive aggressive. Uh, amazing shot with Jamie entering the throne room uh, or yeah. what, whatever, the throne lounge, whatever it is that they're in. Uh, I feel like they really wanted to make the most of that location. So they had this like, great shot from underneath Jamie. 
Yeah, uh, that was in the season five trailer. Yes, yes, great yeah. shot in the trailer. Uh, anyway, uh, so they have this conversation, and essentially, Jamie says, "Hey, I need to bring Marcel back." And uh, what's his name? Doran says, "You can bring her back, but under this condition, uh, you gotta put." My son on the uh, small council, right? I think yes. that's correct. Because mm-hmm. Oberon wasn't a small council, so this this dude uh, Tristane will replace him, right? And then Alaria is still really pissed off that any of this is happening, right? And then they let Bronn live, yeah, on the condition that they can elbow him in the face, yeah. How are you feeling about this Dorn plot? Um, it seems like a colossal waste of time so far, from my perspective. <laughs> uh, it's, it started out really promisingly, do you know? Uh, and I like uh, you know the guy who plays Doran. I, I like all the actors; they're all great. But just what 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 is what is going on? What is the point of yeah. this? Yeah, and I'm not even gonna, I'm not even sure I will say that the women who are playing the sand snakes are great hmm. um i don't know what's going on with the sand snakes and why they are falling so flat on the screen but i think it's a combination of the writing and i, I don't know just the performance is also not working for me hmm. um but they've just been like nothing characters to me this season um alaria's like uh, reversal seems so sudden like the motivation seems real to me you know because basically prince duran is like you know you're a mother you've got kids don't make me kill you basically (laughs) you know and she's like oh shit as you do okay but then she's like making nice with jamie like so suddenly and i don't know it's just her whole arc and i like that i like indira varma the actress a lot but that whole arc is really weird to me yeah i dorn dorn looked beautiful beautiful location shots lovely costumes what a colossal waste of time. This <laughs> Started <season>. out great. <laughs> them arriving on the breach. You had all the ingredients of an amazing plot line. Yeah. Uh, but just not really sure what, you know, why we needed any of this. I I mean, so far, all of this could have happened off screen. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. There's nothing on here that I think to myself, hmm, oh, I'm really glad we saw that because that was necessary for our understanding. Uh, so yeah, unfortunately not a, a super great plot. I did think Alari had this great line about how the rules always change about who we need to love and, um, and how that kind of mirrors our society as well. And that's what I'm talking about is like in terms of performance, because uh, I feel like the writing, I mean, that's a good line, but I feel like the writing in general for Alaria has not been good, but I feel like Indira Varmer has been like doing her best. Right. With a really like shitty plot line, so I don't know. I liked that scene with her and Jamie, and I sort of wish we had had more of that. I just um, found it. I found it particularly relevant, in, given that uh, one of the co-hosts of this podcast magazine recently published Caitlyn Jenner's photo on their cover, and uh, and it's kind of kickstarted this whole. Uh, conversation about gender in our society and uh and i thought that her line was particularly resonant given uh what's been going on in pop culture this week yeah so uh i i just love it when you know something on the show that like has an echo in our reality and i thought you know that was a shining moment amongst a otherwise pretty uh you, you know 
inconsequential from my perspective inconsequential you mean uh, like the pearl in the non-aphrodisiac oyster correct <laughs> correct <laughs> uh that is right <laughs> <laughs> so i don't know how i'm gonna make this transition but speaking of aphrodisiacs yes <laughs> i just launched a kickstarter project this week <laughs> how does that make you feel Better than a whole kilometer of oysters. Uh, well, the point, the reason, the reason I bring it up is because some people think that cello music is super sexy. I know many of those people listen to this podcast. Um, I'm, I'm really reaching here, Joanna. But seriously, uh, I did launch Kickstarter this week, uh, and a, a lot of people have asked, "Am I? Is it me that's playing cello in the uh, opening of this podcast this season?" And the answer is yes. So. After nine episodes, I can reveal to you, yes, that is me. Uh, but it is not recorded uh, super well. I, I have, I really want to make like a full-fledged recording that sounds good in a studio and stuff like that. So one day, hopefully, I'll do that. Um, but in the meantime, at DaveChenMusic.com, I've launched a Kickstarter where you can support my cello music. Why is any of this relevant? Because, Joanna, I used an amazing service to buy the URL. What service is that? That's Hover.com. What? I know. It's awesome. When you wow. have a great idea. Did you, you have to pay, <laughs> did you have to pay full price or did you have some sort of promo code you could use? I had a promo code called Hover.com slash Hardhome. That, that's Whoa. actually not true because that's a lie <laughs> because I bought that URL a while ago. Okay. But, but what's not a lie is that I did use Hover.com to buy it. And uh, you can use Hover.com today to buy a URL for 10% off. Go to Hover.com slash hardhome. That's Hover.com slash hardhome, the name of last week's episode. Um, <laughs> in, <laughs> in less than five minutes, you can find the domain name you want and get it up and running. All you have to do is search for a few keywords, and Hover will show you the best available options across all the domain extensions out there. Um, when I bought my domain, uh, DaveChenMusic.com, Super easy to use hover.com slash hardhome, which again, I technically didn't use, but you can use it this week. And, um, you know, if you've ever registered a domain name anywhere else, not going to say where, you know that companies make it a really unpleasant experience. Hover.com, super frictionless. Uh, just go in, search for all the stuff you want, get free who is privacy, uh, and wherever it's available. And, uh, yeah, it, it's just, uh, it's an awesome service for getting domain names super quickly. Um, so would highly recommend hover.com slash hardhome. And they're one of our two sponsors this season, and we really appreciate all the support they've given us. And if you want to support my uh, cello EP, go to davechenmusic.com. But let's thank all the other people who contributed to uh, Cast of Kings, Joanna. Uh, who else helped make this podcast possible this season? I would like to personally thank Emily Ralph, Peter Shern, um, Andy Sito, uh, Shive, Shivy, whoa, wow, let's go back in time. Shivy Sharma, <laughs> the lovely Sarah Carlson, uh, Andy Shear, Daniel Steer, Andrew Needling, sounds like Liebling, uh, and Sam Forsyth. And Sam Forsyth put how you pronounce his name in here, but I've read the Forsyth saga, so I already knew that. All right. Patrick Sullivan, Alec Jenkins, Dan Draff, James Duvall, Martin Ailing, Zappa Johns, Ed Peterson, uh, who submitted for the lovely and talented Vicky Peterson, his wife, and also Ivan, who loves Cast of Kings almost as much as Game of Thrones Morales. Uh, thank you guys for your contributions as well. Now, 
According to Joanna, we should have reached the end of our list of Cast of Kings Kickstarter donors. But it's very possible that somewhere along the process, perhaps when I sent Joanna the list, I messed up. And people who were supposed to get their name read did not get their name read. Or maybe the person who picked the codename Hardhome for this week's episode messed up somewhere. Perhaps. <laughs> perhaps some, some mistake occurred. Uh, so if you were supposed to hear your name and didn't hear it read, do write in so that we can uh, thank you on the next week's episode of A Cast of Kings. All right. Uh, so thanks to Hover.com slash Hardhome and thanks to all the people who donated to the Kickstarter. Uh, it's been so awesome to have like all the support of both our sponsors and also uh, our donors. Really warms my heart. And speaking of things Ooh. getting warm. Oh, no. Stannis <laughs> and his daughter. Yeah. So uh, the Stannis plotline begins with uh, Melisandre, I guess, just kind of doing her thing. And then all of a sudden, we see things getting lit on fire. Now, my first reaction was not, oh, hey, that's Ramsey. It was, hey, is Melisandre, did one of Melisandre's spells literally backfire or something along oh. those lines? Well, I have a quick question about fire. Did you know that the Flaming Heart is the sign of the Lord of Light and Stannis adopted for a sigil? So if you look at Stannis's stuff, it's not just the Baratheon stag. It's the Baratheon stag on top of a burning heart. Um, uh, like on his clothes and stuff. Mm, no, uh, so yeah, your burning heart, your warmed heart thing was more accurate than you even knew. Mm, All right, nice. So I just am stalling. I don't want to get. To, <laughs> I don't want to talk about this. At all. So uh, I, I, I thought it was also odd that. Uh, they didn't show Ramsey at all, to my knowledge, right? Did they? Did we see Ramsey's face in this episode? No. Here's my favorite thing of what happened. Um, one one of Stannis's men, I believe, goes like, "Seems like it was the work of twenty men." <laughs> <laughs> Just in case you were curious, if that was Ramsey and his twenty, you know, commandos lighting those fires. Yes. Uh, and fortunately, the the previously <laughs> on. Uh, Game of Thrones also helped set that up, make that connection as well. <laughs> so uh, what I like about this episode is you really start to understand how desperate Stannis' situation is. And you see that both in terms of Davos' description of how desperate it is and also how Stannis is becoming progressively more disheveled as time goes on. Yeah, they did a really good job of making um, the Baratheons look very... Yeah, rough, rough <laughs> in the face. Davos visits Shireen and she tells him about this book that she's reading called The Dance of Dragons. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a- anything relevant you want to highlight here? Um, just if you haven't um, read it, George R. R. Martin wrote a novella called The Princess and the Queen, which is sort of about the Dance of Dragons, which is a Targaryen civil war. So if you want to know more about you know what Shireen was reading about, it's not quite the same thing, but... Um, you know, he this is basically one of the things he did um, rather than complete the next novel as he wrote this novella. So, And how dare it. he? How um, dare he have a life and live it like he wants to? <laughs> so uh, I, I guess my question too, Joanna, is what was kind of the purpose of this story? I think uh, part of it is that uh, she is trying to communicate how pointless war in general is, right? I mean, I guess that's kind of the message I got from it is all these people fought and lots of people died. And like, was it worth it? Did you feel like there was any kind of 
purpose to the scene for for the broader storyline? Couple things. First of all, I think that they wanted to have another touching Davos Shireen scene just so that we could feel as bad as possible about what happens next. Um, you know, and then and then she also talks about the Dance of Dragons with uh, her father. You know, just to make it really, really rough, and uh, and then just to lay the groundwork for what happens with with Daenerys later. So just to talk about the Targaryens and their dragons, to sort of lay the groundwork for, you know, Targaryens and their dragons. So, got it. I think so. You know, I yeah, no, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. So, uh, so then. <laughs> They say goodbye, and you know this. This brings up to the first of two scenes this episode, where someone with grayscale touches someone without grayscale. And I guess what are the rules for infection in the show? Do we know? Do you have any thoughts on that? Um, I think I believe. Please do correct me if I'm wrong, but I le- I believe you need to touch that person like where the grayscale has infected them, mm-hmm. and then you might get grayscale. You might not, right? Um, so, you know, with the Jorah stuff later, people were like, oh, does everyone he, you know, did he save Daenerys just to give her grayscale? But I think he's got braces over his, like, little patch on his forearm. So I think he's protected. Um, and then with Shireen, I believe because the grayscale is had iner- been... It's inert now? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> had been halted on her that she's no longer contagious. But mm. I, I, I don't quite know. <laughs> well... We both definitely spent time thinking about this fictional disease. <laughs> so. I mean, if you burn someone with grayscale and then inhale the smoke, do you then have grayscale in your lungs? It's mm. a good question. Good right? question. Yes, definitely. I hope so. I hope all those motherfuckers have grayscale in their lungs now. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So uh, anyway, Stannis goes in and says, hey, you ever realize uh, how some people, they need to do what they got to do? And Shereen. <laughs> That's that's what makes it so difficult. Is Shireen is not even recalcitrant in any way. She is so obedient, which, by the way, she totally goes back on later. I mean, when they get her, they're about to execute her. I mean, you gotta admit she kind of went back on her word, Joanna, right? Okay. <laughs> I guess you don't have a joke about this. That's fine. Well, I I was thinking about this. You know, my me being, um perturbed by this scene and i was thinking back to like the red wedding and how perturbed you were about sort of the talisa stuff that happens in that scene yes and and in my opinion that is still the most disturbing thing i've seen on the show um and i uh yeah i just i don't know it's it's interesting sometimes game of thrones is so great and then sometimes it does a thing and i'm like why am i watching this show where they burn a child alive or stab a pregnant woman in the stomach or whatever so um no i mean we can yeah i hope those people have gray skills in their lungs that's my joke your joke is that shireen uh, went back on a promise to her father to help him (laughs) correct correct (laughs) yeah (laughs) Uh, so this is not a development from the books, apparently. I heard this, right? Well, uh, you know, Weiss and Benioff in the post episode video basically said when George R. R. Martin told us about this, we were shocked. So the implication there is that this will happen in the next book. So then this is why everyone's like, oh, the show is spoiling the books. Like if they burn Shireen in the next book, everyone reading it. We'll already know that it was going to happen because they saw it in the show. So they haven't reached this point in the books yet. Right. Fascinating. So you didn't even know if they were going to burn Shireen or not. 
I did. I was pretty sure they were going to burn Shireen. Yeah. Well, when you say you did, is that because you intuited it or because you heard about it somewhere else? I um, that shot when when Celise goes like down in the snow and she's upset. Yeah. That was in the season five trailer. I see. So I kind of thought they might burn Shireen. So, uh, in terms of how this scene is filmed, I mean, it's brutal. Yeah. Uh, her cries for her father are brutal. Yeah. Uh, it, it is appropriately brutal as a scene uh, and heartbreaking. The Celeste stuff did not work for me. I will say. It, that. Well, I mean, it was an interesting reversal because you would of of the parents to crack, you would expect Stannis to crack. But actually, but also, I, I think it's the fact that she shows up and then she says, "This is a good thing," and she shows up looking super evil from oh, my yeah. perspective. Like, yeah, she yeah. does not look concerned, potentially regretful, cautious. She just thinks to herself, "This is the right thing to do." And I think it. I think it highlights Stannis's character. Um, I know a lot of people, I, I'm not as, as upset as some people are. Uh, I, I am upset, of course, as anyone would be to watch a child burn on television, right? Um, but, um, the whole, like, this is character assassination of Stannis, like, we were rooting for Stannis, right? We had sort of lashed onto Stannis in this season as a potential person that we could root for because all of a sudden he was being nicer to his daughter and making funny grammar jokes and we liked him. Um, and now he's burned a child and. Uh, not really grammar jokes. Just, he was just <laughs> correcting people's grammar, but yes. Um, and, um, I, I don't know, like, you, you kind of feel like, oh, maybe Stannis would be great on the Iron Throne. Maybe I want to root for him. But, you know, from the start, right, like, Stannis conjured a smoke baby to stab his own brother. Um, you know, from the start, his ambition has been his most defining characteristic. And um, his just his conviction that the throne is his by right and that he would be a good ruler and that he's willing to do what it takes. And so I like the Celeste stuff only because it highlights that once Stannis has made this decision, he's made this decision. And he just, he has the courage of his convictions. And he's mm-hmm. like, yes, this is the necessary evil for what I need. Um, I, I think I understood what they were trying to do with the Celeste stuff. It's right. this idea that Celeste has not been super kind to her daughter, but then upon seeing her being burned alive, suddenly her motherly instincts overtake her, and then she's overcome by emotion and must try and save her. I get that, but it just didn't... No, or just humanity. I mean, I like, it's not just that. It's that you have to look at that in contract to Stannis, who actually liked his daughter. Right. But who is standing resolute because he's the kind of person that when oh, yeah, he the, makes the, the That decision. stuff all worked for me. The, the yeah. Stannis stuff all worked for me. I just saying from, from a Celeste standpoint, yeah. they have done so much to kind of, assa- you know, so much to assassinate that character. Yeah. Uh, well, that, yeah. that this kind of thing at the end to bring her back. I mean, we saw almost no signs that that would be a thing that would actually happen. Right. Uh, so, so I did not find that particularly convincing. I thought the performance was amazing, but just the way that things played out, I, I wasn't a huge fan of. Yeah. So anyway, that's, uh, that's Stannis this week. Um, and so, I mean, from your perspective, Joanna, you, you just, it sounds like you understood what Stannis was trying to do. 
but is this kind of an unforgivable sin for you and now you can't ever support Stannis again? Yes, I would say you can't come back from burning your daughter alive. Mm. Yep. Okay, well, that's that's a fairly reasonable point of view to hold, <laughs> I guess. Um, uh, you know... Uh, 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 <laughs> <laughs> um, something I did want to... An illusion, a nice illusion that I did want to point out. I, I think I read this on, I want to say, the Wired recap. Um, you know, Davos gives Shireen this little carved stag... And, um, which is the sigil of House Baratheon. Um, and I believe she has it with her when she's dragged to the pyre that she has the stag, mm. like, in her hand. And, um, on, on the wired recap, uh, they pointed out that in the, um, Agamemnon and Iphigenia myth, which we talked about last week, um, in some versions, Artemis, sweeps it you know the goddess artemis sweeps in and and swaps iphigenia out for a stag uh so it's a or a deer so it's a deer that gets burnt in her place and she rescues iphigenia that's in some versions and then Mm. in some versions iphigenia dies parallel is even stronger you're saying i well i think it was an intentional allusion possibly yeah to that um but yeah Uh, only other couple thoughts to bring up here which is that uh it is now clear why Stannis sent Davos away, right? Yes. He said Davos brought that up. Yes. Stannis didn't want Davos to be around for – do you think Davos had any suspicion that this was going to happen? He seemed very uneasy and reluctant to leave Shireen, I think. Yeah. Um, I su- like I was I was 85% sure they were going to burn Shireen and then as soon as he sent Davos away, I was like, oh, yes. They are burning Shireen. God. You know. Because Davos is the one who would have – stopped it my hope is that davos comes back and gets some sort of revenge but i mean that's not game of thrones right <laughs> like right and also like person you, doesn't get revenge so and you don't um so do you do you not know what happens with davos no so this is all uncharted territory fascinating okay mm-hmm. um and i guess it's also worth pointing out i should say that with regards to uh the motivation behind Stannis' actions, it's more important now than ever that Melisandre is correct, right? Because if this was all for nothing, that's going to kind of suck. You know what I mean? That was one of my favorite memes is someone took like a <laughs> shot of Stannis' face and underneath it said like, this better work. This or better something work, like that. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we, we all feel as though this had better actually work. And we don't know. I think, or might. would it be a better story if it doesn't work? If he did that, if he did that horrible thing, and then it doesn't work, uh, it kind of reminds me of uh, this movie called The Mist. Actually, if you've seen that film, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, I'm not going to say how it reminds me of that, but <laughs> you can uh, suffice to say, you know whether how whether you liked that movie will also uh, dictate whether you like how this plotline plays out if it doesn't work. Right. So, anyway. Uh, all right, well, let's get to the final plotline this episode, and that is at Marine. Well, let me ask you a question. Go. Did the stuff – I mean, I know I watched your reaction video, so I know uh, <laughs> some things. But, like, did the stuff that happened with Shireen cast a pall over the rest of the episode for you at all? Or were you able – like, were you just able to move on? Well, I guess I think this is kind of uh, part of our – our disconnect, Joanna, with regards to our experience of this show is 
from my perspective, I have been completely inured to the horrors that the show is capable of. Do you know what I mean? Okay. Um, I guess I, I just feel as though I, I don't know what the show could do that could surprise me at this point. Do you know what I mean? We, we've virtually seen every uh, act of human depravity shown on screen uh, at this point. Uh-huh. And so I guess when Shireen gets torched alive, I'm just like, oh, that was very painful and horrible. But hey, that's, that's Game of Thrones, you know? Throner's got a throne, as they say. Well, I'm just like I under I understand why they ended with Danny flying off on her dragon. Um, that's how I expected this episode to end. But I almost wonder if maybe I don't know. Shireen should have gone last or something. Then I could have enjoyed the Danny stuff a little bit more. But I don't know. Then you end the episode on a downer. I don't know. I don't know what what would. Yeah, uh, I think uh, I actually saw this pointed out to me several times on Twitter and Facebook that that they should have ended with the Shireen stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, don't, I don't know. It, it, is, it is a little weird, um, especially because uh, both plot lines involve people getting burned alive. <laughs> yeah, know? and I think you're supposed to be delighted by the, by the dragon <laughs> fire, you know? And right. so would, would that have been interesting if you're, like, cheering someone getting torched alive – Right, uh, and, and then, the Daenerys stuff, and then you like switch over and you watch Shireen die, and then it cuts to credits. And we've talked about how they can do really, really chilling cut to credit moments. So like, you know, Shireen burning, and then them cutting to credits could have been. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. It's just a question. I think um, one reason to end it um, the way they did. Here's another factor to consider: is uh, length of time of the storyline. Right, so I think Marine was probably the longest storyline this week in terms of screen time, and inherently, I think an episode works better if you end with the plotline that is the longest, because otherwise, the the final sequence just feels kind of like an afterthought. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Uh, versus you know, now, there's time for this to build up to something and then have a spectacular finish. Mm-hmm. So, uh, all right, so Marine. There, the the fighting pits open. There is this lengthy conversation between Hisdar and uh, Tyrion and Danny, and about isn't cruelty always necessary? Blah blah blah. Uh, what did you get out of this conversation? Uh, Hisdar's comment: "What great thing has ever been accomplished without killing or cruelty?" felt very like a meta commentary on the Shireen stuff. Like, <laughs> you know, these are the stakes of the show. You know, the reason that that people love this sh- one of the reasons people love the show so much is that the stakes are so high, and you know, your Oberyns and your Ned Starks and your Shireens will die, and that's what makes you know it's such a compelling show for so many people. So, um. The thing I want to say about Hisdar, this is not a book spoiler because we don't know any of this in in the books. But some people have been asking me, and I, I don't know the answer honestly, but some people have been asking me, is Hisdar the leader of the Sons of the Harpy? Um, and well, I actually, this week seems to indicate no. I, I don't know. Someone was like, he didn't seem like he got stabbed very hard. Um, <laughs> But he did show up late and he was like, just making sure everything is in order, right? His star showed up late and was like, just making sure everything's in order. Mm. 
which is suspicious to me. So I'm I'm not letting him off the hook of being behind all of this yet, despite that stabbing situation. <laughs> <laughs> despite the despite the fact that he got impaled. Okay. This does remind me of uh, a scene in Breaking Bad. Spoilers for Breaking Bad coming up. Uh, but there was a scene in uh, Breaking Bad where one of the major villains gets his face blown off. Yeah. Right? In, in probably one of the best ever shots uh, in television history. And uh, listening to Vince Gilligan describe that on the Breaking Bad Insider podcast, he was saying how the reason they had to show his face getting blown off is if you just see the explosion, uh, there will always be some doubt in the viewer's mind as to whether he survived that <laughs> explosion. And he was saying, you know, Vince Gilligan, super nice guy. He was saying, you know, and that's good that the viewer wants that character to go on living, you know, and they'll they'll do all kinds of mental gymnastics to make that character go on living. Uh, but he wanted to remove all doubt that that character's dead. Oh he, yeah, no, yeah. people are still pretending that maybe Sharina is still alive because because you don't maybe, see her. Yeah, so maybe I don't know. Maybe Grace Ned's Bale. maybe Ned made it out too. Oh, Ned's definitely still alive. <laughs> He's just hiding out until... <laughs> he was in that hood on the boat in Hardhome. Um, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. No, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I... There is a whole, like, if you don't see the body, uh, you, you're going to suspect that they're trying to pull one over on you. Um, the Hisdar thing is, is probably crackpot theory to suspect him still of being behind it all when he got stabbed, but... I don't know. They threw a lot of suspicion on him. So, so we were asking last week, what is Jorah's long game? And this is also you, you also haven't read about what's going on here, right? Am I correct in that, or was the section in the books but without Tyrion? No. Well, I mean, it, Tyrion's in the pit. He's actually in the pits, uh, and Danny like spares him. He's like a circus performer. They cut this whole circus. Uh, plot which is great but he's a circus performer in the pits and danny basically is like how will we not have these boars impale these dwarves that are performing and his star's like oh we love impaling dwarves and she's like how about not and so they don't so she saves Tyrion's life without ever meeting him without knowing that it's him i but. see so so this section is in the books then basically the fighting pits are the 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 circumstances are different gotcha. and um yeah, so Jorah coming back. I mean, the reason the show, I believe, had Jorah make this weird decision to go back again is so that there was someone fighting in the pits that we could root for. That makes the the dramatic tension all the more interesting, right? If it were just a bunch of anonymous gladiators, then it's not as interesting as when you're watching, say, Russell Crowe or whatever fight for his life in the pits. So, right. Um, yeah, but so that, I, I guess uh, that feels to me as though you're saying the reason Jorah needed to do this is because the script told him to. I think so. Right. I, th- I think that's why Littlefinger left Winterfell because the script told him to do it. Right. You know, but maybe Jorah's whole plan all along was he knew that Danny would be in danger and by winning the fighting pits, he'd be in a position to save her. Well, yeah, I mean, you could make that argument that he that, just wanted to be close to her to protect her. That's a long, always. that is a very, that, he is making a lot of assumptions in that yeah. thing, like that she's going to be attacked at that very moment. So, Or just, uh, you know, any excuse to be close to her, any excuse to defend her as much as possible. Um, that spear throwing part was pretty great, right? Yes. It was because, incredible. Yeah, yeah. And again, reveals that Danny has the worst security in the history of Queens. I mean, 
we've really come a long way from when she got this army of the Unsullied, which seemed almost impenetrable. Uh, to now, she's getting attacked on a weekly basis. Now it seems like she has like fifteen unsullied left, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I don't know if like Hisdar, if he is behind these attacks, let's say, um, if he if he paid <laughs> off, you know, her security, and that's how a son of the harpy got through. Um, it just know. feels like really bad security. It feels like an inside job, is what it feels yeah. like. But okay, okay. But before we get before we talk more about that, shall we just say that? Overall, I would say that the execution of this scene is really impressive. I mean, the the special effects for the Coliseum elements looked, yeah, you know, about as good as Gladiator, let's say. Uh, Probably Gladiator was a little better because their budget was ten times more, uh, at least. Uh, I will say Danny riding off on a dragon, some of those effects were pretty rough. Mm -hmm. Uh, People were invoking never-ending story. A movie that was made decades ago, and yeah, oh would, yeah, it would looked one hundred percent Falcor. I would agree that they looked about <laughs> as good as Never Ending Story. Yeah, if she had fist pumped, uh, you know, like Bastion does at the end of Never Ending Story, I wouldn't have been as surprised. <laughs> but overall, I think the execution of the scene is pretty impressive. Uh, the scale of it is effectively conveyed. There's this incredible shot where she claps, and then the camera pans over, and you see thousands of people cheering and uh yeah i I was overall pretty impressed with it i mean what were your thoughts joanna um i think it just suffers in comparison to hard home because i just think they did that so impeccably and with this you know weiss and benioff said in the post episode um section that they had no idea how they were going to do this scene on you know in a tv show and I don't blame them. They're like, oh, okay, we have to make a big arena and a huge dragon flies in and then someone hops on the dragon's back and flies off. Okay. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't they, envy they them out, that task. Yeah. They pointed out that that would be an incredibly challenging scene for a film to pull right. off. Yeah. Right? For Let alone one episode of a 10-episode season. You know, so, I feel like in another show – we would have just seen like stunned reaction faces from Tyrion, and then like a shadow, like <laughs> you know, like. No, uh, I, I mean, you know. forget about forget about another show. In Game of Thrones season one, yeah, they were, you just cut to after the Coliseum fight, and then Tyrion describing what happened. <laughs> <laughs> that is what would have happened. Yeah, uh, but anyway, uh, overall, very impressive, uh, particularly the way the camera moved and kind of some of the compositions. Like at the end, when the camera pans over and you see all four of them there, kind of in perfect formation, observing what happened. Uh, but yeah, there's a scene where uh, you know Danny's under attack, and it, it looks pretty spectacular. I mean, it, it looks like they're in an actual arena for real. Uh, it probably wasn't that large in reality, but, uh, well, they were, yeah, they were in an arena. Right. I've seen like the effect shots, like there's green screen up around the rim and they definitely like filled in the crowd with right. CG work, but they're in an actual like yeah. pit. Yeah. And, uh, it, spoilers for Toy Story 3, but <laughs> there's this whole Toy Story 3 moment at the end of this uh, episode where Danny grabs Missende's hand. Yeah. And it reminded me of the scene at the end of Toy Story 3 where all the toys grab each other's hands because they know they're about to be incinerated. Yeah. Uh, And she knows she's about to die. And she closed her eyes. And for a moment, I actually thought that this was like a telepathic communication with the dragon. Because if I were her, that's what I would have been doing. (laughs) 
I've been trying to telepathically communicate with my dragons. And I think uh, that's what a lot of people's interpretation was. And I think Weiss and Benny have sort of fueled that a bit because I believe they said something about the connection between um, dragon riders and their dragons. Um, interesting, because I thought that that moment was about her preparing for death. Or, or actually, after watching the post-game show, I thought uh, that was about her preparing for her death versus oh, like trying maybe. to... Maybe. Yeah. Uh, just that she's preparing for, to die, that this is, might be her last moment. And then the dragon shows up. In the, um, but it sort of seemed like the dragon showed up, I don't know what, because it, since she was in peril, like, why do you think Drogon showed up at that moment? Right. No, I, I, I agree that it's because of this connection between dragons and their dragon riders, but I, I'm saying, I don't think her thought at that moment was, Drogon, come save me. Uh, okay, that was my uh, initial reaction, but and I I don't know what you know what exactly is the case there in in the in the books it's like pure coincidence like Drogon comes to the pits because he smells the blood and hears the cheers and you know torches a boar and eats you know and like and then he gets it and then his dar orders people to attack him so there isn't there isn't a Sons of the Harpy coup you know Danny isn't in trouble he just shows up because of blood and noise. Um, and then she sees him getting attacked and injured. And so she hops on his back to save him. She's like, let's fly away so that you don't get attacked anymore. Um, the way they changed it for the, for the TV show definitely made it very dynamic, but it also kind of seems like Daenerys hopped on his back to save him, but also to save her own ass right? and left her friends behind, which (laughs) (laughs) not cool, Danny, (laughs) not cool, not cool. Yeah. I also thought one thing that was kind of not... Also, Drogon looked smaller to me in this scene than he has looked like when he, when we saw him in Valyria. I thought the scene when Drogon first showed up was spectacular. Just when he arrives and he's right in front of Danny and kind of roars and starts setting people on fire. Mm-hmm. That stuff looked amazing from my perspective. Like the CG I thought was excellent. Um, and... Yeah, I, I, I thought uh, the last shot of all four of them was great. And Tyrion just kind of beholding what's going on uh, is is an incredible... Mo- I mean, all of them just being stunned at what they have just witnessed, uh, I thought was incredible. So, But I do think one thing I didn't like about this, this uh, scene was when they're surrounded, and I think what they're trying to convey was that, oh, hey, uh, they're surrounded, and the Sons of the Harpy are kind of gaining... On, they're kind of like cutting down these people and Danny's about to die. And I thought the way that it was edited and shot just it felt a little bit weird to me in terms of what the momentum of that scene was. I don't yeah, know a lot of was. people have been saying that it invoked a nin- the, that, um, that Saturday Night Live – I think it's a Saturday Night Live ninja sketch. Anyway, basically that the Sons of Harpy uh, of the Harpy were just attacking like one at a time. Right. And yeah. like in actuality, there was no way that formation you – know, because like if you watch again, like – you know, Tyrion kills someone to sort of save Missendi, but once he's down in the pits, he's just sort of like, "Fuck, what do I do?" There's not really- fifty guys. Yeah, I mean, not, they, they could just- not really doing anything. So basically, they've got Jorah, uh, Dario, you know, Missendi, uh, Danny, and Tyrion are doing nothing. You've got the- so Jorah and Dario, and then like you know the handful of Unsullied, and then there's all these people around them. Like they should have been toast. You know. If all those people had just thrown their spears, yeah, <laughs> they'd be dead. They'd but be yeah. dead. So that was that was a little bit uh, weak, but 
whatever. I mean, uh, these are just minor nits amongst what was overall a very incredible sequence, in my opinion. Uh, but yeah, what about you? What, uh, did you find that this had an impact, or were you still shell shocked from the whole Shireen stuff? I, I, you know, I hope it wasn't just the Shireen stuff that sort of um, had an impact on me. I think. I think just things that rely very heavily on CG, I have a hard time um, appreciating. That's my that's a flaw in me. Um, I wouldn't say that's a flaw, but it's more uh, of a it's more of a preference. It's my preference, yeah. and so that's I think why I just loved Hard Home so much because they relied, you know, other than like one one and you know there was plenty of CG in that, but it, it but. Um, it felt more obvious to you in this episode. Yeah, I just felt the gravity. You know, there was that great. I'm sure most people saw. There's that great crack.com article, sort of about that. Um, I'm sorry, I can't remember the title of it. Um, it came out like about a month ago, I'd say. And it six, was sort of, six reasons modern movie CGI looks surprisingly crappy. Great. Yes. And uh, it, what it what it really drove home for me was sort of this idea of weight, which I should have known before, but you know, just. I felt the weight of the bodies at hard home and I didn't feel the weight of this dragon, you know? So, um, yeah, so that's my preference. So they were never, they were probably never going to make that look like something I was really excited to see. But, um, I, I applaud them for how much they did with that impossible task. Um, which I think it is. Fair enough. Uh, it sounds like I was much more impressed with than you with this episode, um, which is okay. Which is okay. It's it's often the opposite. So um, anyway. Well, I think when it comes to these kind of like – because you like the Battle of Castle Black a lot more than I did. So I think when it comes to these really spectacle heavy – I mean Hard Home is a weird exception and Blackwater as well. But I think oftentimes when it comes to uh, spectacle heavy things – I it's not what I connect to and um yeah I guess that comes down to to just preference yeah fair enough so overall thoughts on this episode um I'm excited to see what I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm excited and nervous for the finale yeah hmm. but yeah I mean we are very close to off book entirely so wow. get excited guys <laughs> Yeah, uh, I, I thought, I guess Hard Home was very consequential as an episode. This episode was very consequential and had some spectacular set pieces. I'm curious, the last few seasons, episode 10 has typically been a huge come down from those. So I'm wondering if that's going to be the case. It sounds like, based on your hints to me, that's not the case. Uh, in which case, they'll have delivered three episodes in a row that are spectacular. Boom! Yes. But uh, we'll find out. So well. yeah. In the meantime, uh, Joanna, where can people find more of your work on the internet? Um, you can find me on VanityFair.com. You can hear me talking about uh, finale spoiler speculation on the Storm of Spoilers podcast. Or you can follow me on Twitter at Joe Wrote This. And find uh, my Kickstarter for my first cello EP at DaveChenMusic.com. Would really appreciate your support. Uh, you can get my first EP for less than the price of most Starbucks coffees. Uh, so hope you will consider contributing and tune in next week to our season finale review of Game of Thrones. Thanks for listening. We'll see you guys later.